You're listening to a sermon from Darabin Presbyterian Church. Visit us online for more resources or to get in touch. Hi everyone. If you could come take your seats, uh, we're going to have the Bible read now. Um, the passage should be up behind me. If it's not, there's Bibles at the end of the rows as well. Um, so please feel free to grab those. But I'm going to read from Psalm 29. So please uh, open your Bibles and read along with me. A Psalm of David. Ascribe to the Lord, you heavenly beings. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Worship the Lord in the splendor of his holiness. The voice of the Lord is over the waters. The the God of glory thunders. The Lord thunders over the mighty waters. The voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is majestic. The voice of the Lord breaks the cedars. The Lord breaks in pieces the cedars of Lebanon. He makes Lebanon leap, leap like a calf, Syrian like a young wild ox. The voice of the Lord strikes with flashes of lightning. The voice of the Lord shakes the desert. The Lord shakes the desert of Kadesh. The voice of the Lord twists the oaks and strips the forests bare. And in his temple all cry glory. The Lord sits enthroned over the flood. The Lord is enthroned as king forever. The Lord gives strength to his people. The Lord blesses his people with peace. Uh, Hello again. As Adam Foster said, I'm the other Adam. Uh, I'm Adam Humphreys, and I'm one of the pastors here. If I haven't met you before, I'd love to meet you after the service. Uh, Now, you might be expecting Aaron to be here today, but unfortunately, Aaron and his family have gastro at the moment, so it's good for him and good for us that he's not here today. Uh, So uh, we're not going to have John 18. Uh, I've pulled out an old sermon on Psalm 29, I preach it like three other times, so maybe it should be good enough now for me to present it to you without too much preparation. Uh, you'll find an outline on the welcome card on the website, as well as the passage there. Have your Bibles open, and let's pray that the Holy Spirit would be our help today. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this opportunity to open your word. We pray that you would speak powerfully to us, that we would hear the voice of the Lord. Uh, Please strengthen me for preaching. Uh, We do pray for Aaron and his family that you would heal them and that they'd be able to join us next week. Uh, And we do pray that uh, everything we do today would bring you glory. Amen. Put your hand up if you've ever been scared by a storm. And even if it's okay, when you're a little kid, that counts as well. You can put your hand up. Some of you aren't being honest, I can tell. Uh, Last year... I was out during a big storm. Uh, you know when you like see the lightning and then you count how long until you hear the thunder and that's how you know how far away the lightning was? Well, on this particular night, I went outside to check on something and the thunder and lightning came at the same time and I, I promise you, I literally jumped and I think I even yelled out loud. Even as an adult, I can be scared by fierce weather. Now, these days, we know all the science of storms. We can even look at a weather app to know when a storm is coming, so we're not surprised. Yet the weather can still shock and scare us. It can leave us in fear and awe. 
Lightning can light up the whole night sky. An enormous downpour can be deafening. A mighty gust of wind can literally knock us over. Storms make us feel small and powerless. So it's no wonder they've long been associated with the supernatural. Ancient people thought the, the thunder was the gods fighting and lightning was when the gods were angry with humans. Storms caused people to bow down and worship. And that's where Psalm 29 takes us. This psalm gets us to think about the almighty creator of the heavens, the one who controls these storms. I love the book of Psalms. I enjoy reading through them. Hopefully you've read through some of the Psalms as well. And one of the things I love about them is they have an amazing range, different types of Psalms, genres. And if you've spent any time reading them, no doubt you've noticed that and you've picked out some of your favourites. You know, Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, one of my favourites. Many of these ancient Hebrew writings are actually prayers where the author, the psalmist, pours out his heart, he bears his soul to God in raw honesty. And as he pours out his heart, he's seeking the Lord. But of the first 30 psalms in the book of Psalms, the first 30 poems, this one is unique because it contains no requests, no cry for help, no confession. It's 100% pure praise. It's a declaration of God's glory and power. This psalm written by King David uses the idea of a mighty storm to stir us up to worship the mighty Lord. It seeks to capture our hearts and turn them to God. So you ready to take a look? The psalm begins with a call to worship the Lord. So if you've got your Bibles open, have a look at verses 1 and 2. I'll read them out. Ascribe to the Lord, you heavenly beings. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Worship the Lord in the splendour of his holiness. This is clearly a poem or a song and King David is trying to stir up our hearts and our imaginations. He makes it clear that he's calling people to worship the Lord, to ascribe glory. That's to acknowledge that God is glorious. To worship is to bow down before him. That first one is about agreeing in your head and the the second one is about agreeing with your heart and your body. But who is it that is called to ascribe and worship? You might expect it to be us, to be human beings, but have a look at verse 1. It's heavenly beings. Does that surprise you? The phrase in Hebrew is sons of God or even sons of gods, which is a way of describing spiritual beings. It must be referring to angels and to demons. In other words, spirit creatures created by God, and after all, demons are simply those beings who've rebelled against God. And so the psalmist is calling all of these heavenly beings to worship the Lord. Often the psalms command humans to worship God, but in this one we're taking it to the top. We're taking it into the heavenly realms. All beings everywhere must ascribe glory to the Lord. And the next element of this call to worship is that they are to worship the Lord for who he is. Verse 2 says they are, to, uh, they are to ascribe to God the glory due his name. Well, what is his name? It's the Lord. If you look carefully at your Bibles, you see it's Lord in capital letters. 
maybe you already know this, but whenever you see the Lord written in capitals in the Bible, that means that in the original Hebrew, God's covenant name was there. Some people think it was maybe pronounced something like Yahweh. You may have heard of that. God had revealed to the Jews that this was the name that they were to call him by. But you see, out of respect, they didn't want to kind of misspeak against the name of God. They would instead say, Lord. They'd see the word written in Hebrew and they'd say, Lord, instead. And so our English translations have carried on that tradition and we print the word Lord there, but in capitals, so you know that it's God's special covenant name under there. When you see that word, you know we're talking about the personal God who was in a personal relationship with Israel. So the heavenly beings are to give glory to God because of who he is, who he is revealed by his name, who he is as revealed by his actions, who he is as he's revealed by his glorious splendour, the splendour of his holiness. In fact, that last phrase is interesting. We find it in Psalm 96 too, which in fact connects to Psalm 29. Have a listen to verses 7 to 9 of Psalm 96. Ascribe to the Lord all you families of nations. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Bring an offering and come into his courts. Worship the Lord in the splendour of his holiness. Tremble before him all the earth. Isn't that interesting that Psalm 96 seems to be about humans worshipping God, yet Psalm 29 is about these heavenly beings worshipping God. We all see the same God and we are called to acknowledge that he is splendid in his holiness. This is about who he is and how he reveals himself. And the psalm now takes an amazing shift because the angels are now called to look down upon the earth for a spectacular display of God's splendour. They are given reasons to worship him and it's all centred on seeing God in the storm. This psalm is truly unique among the first collection of psalms. It's an epic poem and simply calls upon us as the readers to take in the glory of God and respond with praise. And so there are four points that I want to make under this heading. The second one's the longest because that's the bulk of the psalm. So point one, the voice of the Lord brings his power. Perhaps you heard it, you noticed it when Alex was reading out the Bible passage for us, that repeated phrase, the voice of the Lord. How does God interact with the world? By his voice. He speaks from heaven, he speaks to his prophets, he booms from the top of Mount Sinai. I suspect too that there's a connection to the Spirit because just as we speak by pushing air out of our lungs and through our mouths, so too God speaks and his spirit brings his power to enact the message and purpose of the words that he has spoken. The voice of the Lord brings his power. Have a look next at verse 4. The voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is majestic. So now we're going to spend some time looking at the evidence for this power and majesty. So our second point for this section is that the Lord reveals his power in the storm. You know, when you put all the pieces together, you can see in verses 3 to 9 that they're describing a massive storm. 
On its journey, four locations are described, each revealing the power of the Lord as his voice shakes and shatters the mighty parts of creation. And the storm is initially formed over the mighty waters. Can you see verse 3? The voice of the Lord is over the waters. The God of glory thunders. The Lord thunders over the mighty waters. I think we can picture like a, a great storm that's brewing over the Mediterranean Sea. There we go. The Mediterranean, that was to the west of the land of Israel. And the sea was a place of terror for the Israelites. It was chaotic and dangerous. They weren't a seafaring people. And so we have this image of God thundering over the mighty waters, the great waves of the great sea. And he is the Lord over these waters. He is the God of glory who thunders and he gathers his storm clouds and then he heads inland in power. And his power is then revealed over the mighty forests, which is the next step on the journey. Have a look at verse 5. The voice of the Lord breaks the cedars. The Lord breaks in pieces the cedars of Lebanon. This tells us where the storm is heading. Lebanon was north of Israel and it was famous for its cedars. It still is. Uh, King David established a trade agreement with Lebanon so that he can import cedar logs to build his royal palace in Jerusalem. Cedars are tall and beautiful and their wood is of superior quality. They were highly sought after by the nations. Cedar wood was used in palaces in Egypt, in Assyria, and eventually even in the temple in Jerusalem. They became a symbol of strength and power. Have a listen to Psalm 92 verse 12. The righteous flourish like the palm tree and grow like a cedar of Lebanon. But they're also a symbol of pride and so a focus of God's judgment. Listen to Isaiah chapter 2, verses 12 and 13. The Lord Almighty has a day in store for all the proud and lofty, for all that is exalted, and they will be humbled, for all the cedars of Lebanon, tall and lofty, and all the oaks of Bashan. <coughs> So Psalm 29 is saying something significant here. An Israelite would know of the might and grandeur of the cedars of Lebanon, yet the voice of the Lord is shattering them. God is more powerful than these mighty trees. God is mightier than the mighty Lebanon. So you can picture a massive storm over a forest of cedar. It's pelting down rain and the wind is howling. The trees shake and start to break apart under the strain. And then we have verse 7. The voice of the Lord strikes with flashes of lightning. Lightning falls like fire from the skies, splits the great trees. It's a terrifying image, but it gets worse. The storm now moves over the mighty mountains. Have a look at verse 6. He makes Lebanon leap like a calf, Syrian like a young wild ox. So Lebanon was a, a region of land, but most properly it was a mountain range. It still is today. It rises two to three kilometres above sea level and parts of it are so high that they're covered by snow all year round. On our map you can see that there are two mountain ranges there and the, the peak down the south is Mount Hermon also known by the name Sirion, which is what we see in verse 6. And so you might think that God causing you know, the mountain of Lebanon and Syrian to skip is about them being happy. But what's really going on here is that 
these mighty mountains are trembling under the God of the storm. My wife Tracy is from a dairy farming family. And when we go to visit the farm, they'll sometimes have an enclosure of little calves next to the house. And whenever they hear a loud noise or just even see my children running towards them, they're out of there. They scatter, they run away in fright. They are skipping like young calves. Now, it might seem funny to think of a mountain trembling and kind of leaping and and trying to run away, but many of us have been in thunderstorms where it feels like the ground is literally shaking. Picture an Israelite who's looking up to the north and they can see the snow-capped Mount Hermon. Then a massive storm sweeps over and shakes the mountain. How scary would that be? This is terrifying stuff. The final stop for the storm is the mighty wilderness. In verse 8 we read about the wilderness of Kadesh. This is probably referring to the Kadesh in Syria beyond the northern mountains. You must imagine that the storm has rolled down the other slope of the mountain and over the land below. And the key observation here is that God shows his power even in these areas of land. Now, a wilderness is a place filled with trees and wild animals, but it's an uninhabited region. There's no people there. But God still rules even over these places where there are no people. The storm rages on there too, strips the trees and forests. The wilderness is shaken by the power of God. Are you getting a picture in your mind of what's happening here? Can can you see this? The voice of the Lord stirs up a mighty storm and it sweeps across the land in fury. The voice of the Lord shakes the trees and the mountains. The voice of the Lord shoots forth in the form of lightning. Can you see those flashes of lightning, hear the terrible thunder, smell the torrential rain, feel the howling winds? It's terrifying and it reveals God's glory. This should cause the heavenly beings to worship. And at the end of verse 9, we see that there's a model, an example for these beings. Have a look. And in his temple all cry glory. These are the Lord's people, and they are crying glory in his temple. This is the third point under uh, this section our outline. It's going to be shorter than the last one. So the cry of glory is both an echo of the heavenly praise demanded in verse 1, but also an example to those heavenly beings who have not yet begun to ascribe glory to God. And so down south in Israel and the safety of the temple, the faithful people of God can witness the storm and they can direct their praise and worship to the one who truly deserves it, to the one who stands behind the storm, who works in and through the storm. They ascribe glory and strength to the Lord. They bow down and worship him, for he has revealed the splendor of his glory and the fierceness of his majestic power. This reference to the faithful worshippers of God is interesting for another reason. See, the storm happens over Lebanon, doesn't it? Not over Israel. This was the land of foreign gods, of false gods. Baal was one of them. Baal was seen as the storm god. Yet here is the God of Israel who's truly behind the storm. Baal is a false God. Only the Lord is real. Also, the people up in Lebanon, they believe that the mighty forest there was owned by the gods, protected by them. 
Yet here in Psalm 29, we see that the Lord owns the forest and he's able to shake and shatter the trees as a sign of his greater power. He owns every land. Well, why does this matter? Why do I bring this up? Well, I think part of what's happening here in this psalm is that we witness a great storm that is earth-shattering and strikes fear into the hearts of men and women. It demands a response, but that response should not be directed to false gods. That response should not be directed to scientific discovery and what humans have been able to figure out. It shouldn't be directed to Mother Nature. It should be directed to the God of Israel, to Yahweh, to the Lord, the one who is the God over the whole earth. Do you want to know how to respond rightly to this storm? Do as the angels do and look to the temple in Jerusalem. Look to the gathered worshippers and hear their praise, their cry of glory. And then get on your knees. Get on your knees, you nations. Get on your knees, you demons. Get on your knees, you angels. Get on your knees, all created beings, and ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Worship, worship, worship. And as you and I join in the chorus of declaring glory, we then look up and see one more reason to worship the God of the storm. We see that the Lord rules forever. This is our fourth point. Have a look at verse 10. The Lord sits enthroned over the flood. The Lord is enthroned as king forever. When I first studied this verse, I thought, oh, is this linking to the flood earlier in Genesis, to Noah's flood? And I thought, oh, that's a bit of a stretch. But actually, this word only appears here and in the Genesis account of the great flood. So I think the psalmist does have in mind that catastrophic event that Noah and his family survived in the ark. The Lord in that day brought destruction upon the earth when he sent the floodwaters. And he sat enthroned over that event. He was sovereign over that event. And he sits enthroned to this day. He's not overwhelmed by the waters. And every rainstorm... Every flood, torrential downpour is a reminder of what God could do in his just judgment, in his righteous anger. Yet he shows restraint because, remember, he promised to never flood the earth again. He is the king. He reigns forever. That's why we worship him. That's why the heavenly beings worship. And so that brings us to our final verse where we'll see the benefits of worship. Have a look at verse 11. The Lord gives strength to his people. The Lord blesses his people with peace. The Lord to whom we ascribe strength is able to share that strength with us, with his people, and he can bless us with peace. How does he do that? Well, ultimately, he's done that by coming to live amongst us as one of us. Do you remember when Jesus and his disciples were out on the Sea of Galilee? Jesus is fast asleep, but a storm comes up. The waves start beating against the side of the boat. Jesus trusts his father, so he's sleeping soundly. He's not worried. But the other men, they're terrified, aren't they? These were fishermen by trade. Many of them lived their lives out on the Sea of Galilee. They're used to being on the water, but they are fearing for their lives. And they wake Jesus up 
And what does he do? He looks at the storm and he says, Be still, be quiet. And the waves instantly go completely flat. And this makes the disciples even more afraid. They say, who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? Well, we know who he is, don't we? He's the God of Psalm 29. He's the God of the storm. And he's come to dwell amongst us as a man. He commands the wind to stop and the storm recognises its master and obeys. We should worship this Jesus. And when we do, we will share in his strength. We'll have the strength to face this life. Not because it's easy, but because we know that he will help us to weather the storms. Whatever trials we face, whatever stormy seasons, Jesus is stronger. He's stronger than the mighty forests of Lebanon. He's stronger than COVID-19. These may seem like undefeatable powers, but they will not prevent God from accomplishing his plans on this earth, because it's his earth. And the key part of his plan was to come to earth in the flesh, to dwell amongst us and to deal with the greatest storm of all, God's justice. The storm of God's judgment against our sin. Remember earlier we, we learned about how Lebanon was an arrogant and proud nation. They worshipped false gods and so their destruction was deserved. What's well, true for all people? It's every single woman, man and child worships things other than God. What does that mean? Does it mean we bow down and raise our hands to them? No, it means we, we ascribe glory and strength to them. We ascribe glory and strength to people, to objects, to our feelings. We, we think that they will save us and give us life, that they will help us to get through, that they are worthy of us pouring out our lives for them. But that's to turn away from the God who does deserve our worship and praise. And because of this, the storm of God's judgment is coming. But Jesus came first and bore the wrath, bore that judgment on the cross. And it's almost like God himself stands in front of the storm and bears the brunt of it, shields us from the lightning so that it strikes him instead of us. That's how justice can be maintained, but that God can also forgive those who trust in Jesus. Jesus died the death that we deserve, but he rose again to new life so that all who trust in him can know the Lord truly and be strengthened by him for daily life. And as we draw close to God in worship, as we do that Sunday by Sunday, but during the week, we'll find our faith strengthened. As we fix our eyes on him by faith, we will realise that the threats and challenges of this life cannot separate us from him. And that can bring us peace. The mighty, fierce, majestic God of the storm shares his strength with us and out of his abundant love and mercy he grants us peace. He grants me peace. He grants you peace. No matter what storms are going on in and around your life, you can have peace in your heart knowing that if you've trusted in Jesus, you are forgiven and eternal life is yours. There will be storms, but they will pass and the God of the storms will get you through them. 
So let's draw out some lessons now for right worship of the Lord today. The first application point of this may be a bit obvious, but uh, worship the Lord as the only true God. He's revealed himself in the Bible as the Lord or perhaps as Yahweh. He is the creator and redeemer. He's the God of Israel, the father of Jesus. All other gods are false and must not be worshipped. Allah is not God. Vishnu is not God. Thor is not God, another god of the, the storm. And we sometimes speak as if these deities are real. Well, maybe not Thor, because that's just Chris Hemsworth dressed up, right? But we may speak as if the God of Islam is real. And it can be confusing because, you know, Allah means God in Arabic. But the God of Islam is not real. He's not God. Allah and Vishnu and Thor, well, well they have to ascribe glory to the Lord because he's the one true God. And so all humans must renounce every false god. We must not worship angels or demons or anything other than God. We must worship the Lord and the Lord alone. The second application point is to worship the Lord of the world as is revealed in his word. If you're following along on the outline, you might notice that I've spelled Lord with lowercase letters, not capital. And that's deliberate because I want to emphasise in this case that God is the ruler or he's the Lord of the world. He reveals his power and might in creation, but it's only through his word, through the Bible, that we can properly know him and therefore respond to him properly in worship. Let me share a quote with you about this psalm from Charles Spurgeon, the great 19th century preacher. And he talks about how your different psalms might have different settings, different times when you might read them and reflect on them and they help us to, to understand God. He says this, actually I'll put it up on the screen, there we go. Just as the eighth psalm is to be read by moonlight when the stars are bright, as the 19th needs the rays of the rising sun to bring out its beauty, so this can be best rehearsed beneath the black wing of tempest, by the glare of the lightning, or amid that dubious dusk which heralds the war of elements. The, verse, the, the verses march to the tune of thunderbolts. God is everywhere conspicuous and all the earth is hushed by the majesty of his presence. It's pretty amazing writing, isn't it? Even though we know the forces that cause the weather, we can still understand that there is a mind behind it all. There is a creator, a designer who made a world with amazing weather. Storms come according to God's timing. And so Spurgeon is encouraging us when we see the storms, think about Psalm 29. We, we see these wonders of nature. We feel the force of natural events and behind them is a supernatural force. Behind them is the Lord. And so we're driven to worship. We don't worship the wind or the mountains or the lightning, but we worship the one who designed them, who sends them. And we learn the identity of this God in the Bible. We learn who he is and what he is like. We go to the Bible and we learn of the God of the storm. We learn of the loving creator who made us for his glory. We learn of the holy God who cannot be in the presence of darkness. We learn of the just judge who will bring every wrongdoing to account. We learn of the merciful redeemer who rescues us from the storm of his wrath. He sent his only begotten son to bear the storm on our behalf. We learn of the Lord Jesus who was struck down by his father so we would not be consumed. We learn of the Lord Jesus who rose from the dead because not even death could hold him down. 
We learn of the Lord Jesus who has ascended into heaven, who now sits enthroned over the flood, who reigns as king forever, who strengthens his people and blesses them with peace forever. And what do we do? What do we do when we learn all of this in the word of God? What do we do? We worship. We worship the Lord. We ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name and we worship him in the splendour of his holiness. Amen? Amen. Let's worship God now by praying to him. Almighty creator God, we stand in awe of you. We are reminded that this is your world and that you reveal your majesty to us in just daily events, regular things. The wind, the storms, the rain, they come in your timing according to your purposes. And as we look around this world, may we not uh, worship the world, worship the creation, may we worship you, the creator. And so we pray that you would help us to ascribe glory to your name and worship you in the splendour of your holiness. May we be a worshipping people. Amen. Well, we're going to sing in response to Psalm 29. We're going to worship Christ the Lord.